0: Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for superhero therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show.
1: Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy.
0: All you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy.
1: And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch.
0: So today we are doing The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort. When we left off in the last chapter, everyone was surprised to see that Snape just suddenly appeared. As Snape does, he lashes out at Lupin and Sirius, and his lash out is on another level. I mean, he's definitely been suppressing a lot of pain and fury towards these two men. He has become so deranged in his retribution that he doesn't want to hear anything, no matter how logical. Snape is, quote, beyond reason. After he subdues Lupin and Sirius, he even says vengeance is very sweet. Oh,
1: vengeance is sweet. I hoped I'd be the
0: one to catch you, Severus. I told Dumbledore you were helping an old friend into the castle, and now, here's the proof. Brilliant, Snape. Once again, you put your keen and penetrating mind to the task, and as usual, come to the wrong conclusion. Now, if you'll excuse us, Remus and I have some unfinished business to attend to. Give me a reason. I beg you. Severus, don't be a fool. He can't help it. It's habit, my be quiet! Fight yourself, Remus! Girl, listen to you two quarrelling like an old married couple. Why don't you run along and play with your chemistry set?
1: I could do it, you know. But why deny the Dementors? They're so longing to see her. Do I detect a flicker of hair? Oh, yes. A Dementor's kiss. One can only imagine what that must be like to endure. It's said to be nearly unbearable to witness, but I'll do my best. Severus, please.
0: This is horrible. What is going on here, and what do we call this level of madness?
1: I don't think he's deranged or mad, I think he is extremely triggered. I think when people are as traumatized as Severus Snape was, and extreme bullying and child abuse can lead to complex trauma, sometimes when they see their perpetrators, the perpetrators of their abuse, they are having a hard time with hearing that person out, understandably, And might have a really difficult time believing that individual. Well, after Snape spent seven years being tortured by Lupin and Sirius and James and Peter, it makes sense that all these years later, seeing them is going to make it very difficult for him to believe them. And he's also been certain that Sirius is a bad guy. Everyone has cast him out to be this murderer, and seeing Lupin protecting him only confirms what Snape believes to be true. So I think when we look at it from the lens of a survivor of severe trauma, it makes sense why Severus Snape has such a difficult time believing Lupin and Ceres Black, and why he's certain that they're lying, and why he wants to make sure that they're brought
0: to justice. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because in the last chapter, we spoke about how Harry, his emotions were so high that he went after Sirius and wanted to murder Sirius. But after seeing Snape's behavior in this case, Harry's tone immediately changes from skeptical to accepting and actually protective. He wants to protect Lupin and Sirius and get to the truth. He wants to continue hearing what was going on. He wants to know what, Really happened. He ends up blasting Snape with a spell and knocks Snape out. He also did this with a simple Expelliarmus spell.
1: Expelliarmus! Harry, what did you just do? You attacked a teacher! Tell me about Peter Pettigrew.
0: Harry's a powerful little guy, isn't he?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he's also driven by this understandable need to find out what happened to his parents. When we experience the kind of trauma that Harry has in terms of losing a loved one or several loved ones, it's hard enough to go through that trauma, but it's a lot more difficult to cope with the traumatic experience when we don't know the details of what happened. It makes it a lot more difficult to come to terms with what the traumatic event was. And so it makes sense that Harry is trying really, really hard to find out the truth because there's that expression, the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it's accurate, in some ways it's not. It doesn't necessarily set us free, but it creates the groundwork to allow us to start healing without knowing exactly what happened. It's very difficult for people to heal because It's hard to know what we're healing from. And then in addition to the trauma of the loss, we also are going through an ambiguous grief of not knowing exactly what happened. So it makes sense that for Harry's own mental health survivorship, it's important for him to know exactly what happened. And he won't let anyone stand in his way, not even Snape.
0: I know. And that's so wild because Harry puts everything on the line here. And attacks a teacher. And I mean, not only attacks him, but knocks him out. Like, pretty bad. <laughs> so, I mean, nothing else matters but the truth. That's conviction right there. Sirius tells his tale tell of escaping from Azkaban prison. After Snape is knocked out, Sirius tells his tale tell of escaping from Azkaban prison. It's interesting that while he was incarcerated, the Dementors could not penetrate parts of his mind. He was innocent of these crimes that he was in prison for, and he knew that. That wasn't a happy memory, and that was something that the Dementors couldn't take away from him. There are those who can go through horrible atrocities and still find peace and reconciliation in what they're going through. Can you discuss this level of acceptance?
1: That's a great question. I think that What we see here is a big discrepancy between how Sirius handled, what, 13 years, 12 years, right, of Mm -hmm. imprisonment, 12 years of imprisonment, versus how Hagrid handled a few months of imprisonment, both of whom were innocent. But I think that Sirius had a mission, and his mission was revenge, Mm -hmm. and Hagrid didn't have a mission. And so I think for him, it was easier to get overwhelmed and lost in the trauma of being an Azkaban. Also, I do want to mention that compared to Hagrid, Sirius had a fairly good life. His, it's true that his parents weren't very accepting of him because even though he was pure blood, he um, sided with individuals that his family didn't approve of and therefore they shunned him. But he grew up in a wealthy household. He was privileged. And then when he went to school, he made very good friends. And so throughout his life, he always had a support system. Hagrid, on the other hand, grew up in poverty. He was half giant. He barely knew his parents. And when he went to school, by the time it was his third year, right, he was expelled for a crime he didn't commit. And then was allowed to stay on premises watching other kids learn magic and grow up and move on without any friends, really. So in a lot of ways, people like Hagrid, who experienced adverse childhood experiences, right, people who were traumatized and abused as children, are more likely to be additionally traumatized as adults, whereas People that had supportive individuals in their life, the way that Sirius did, are likely to have more resilience, more protective factors against developing disorders like PTSD later in life. And so I think both the fact that Sirius had a fairly good life before he lost James, of course, and and Lily and before he was imprisoned, and also the fact that he had a mission The fact that he had a goal for what he would do if he ever got out of Azkaban, and I think deep inside he knew he would, allowed Sirius to have an easier time of being there. Um, Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl experienced one of the most horrific experiences that humans can go through when he and his family were taken to a concentration camp and they were tortured and separated and didn't see each other for a long period of time, the one thing that kept them going was this idea imagining what it will be like when they're all reunited. Well, when the war was over and he was freed, he discovered that his entire family, his partner and his kids were all killed in the concentration camp. But it was that mission of seeing them again that kept him going through the concentration camp that allowed him to see how different... His life was versus people who gave up versus people that didn't have something to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, he became a mental health professional and wrote books, including his most famous book, A Man's Search for Meaning, in which he talks about how when we have something to live for, in his case, it was love and family, and in Sirius's case, it was justice then we're more likely to withstand even some of the most painful experiences.
0: Yeah. And I imagine that's very powerful too. In Sirius's case, too, when he saw the newspaper clipping and saw scabbers or Peter Pettigrew on Ron's shoulder, he knew it was him. And that just gave him that other level of like conviction to have this mission. Um, and you mentioned that Sirius had some support and. He had some support in an unlikely place with Crookshanks as well. And Sirius explains that Crookshanks is a very intelligent cat that can see through facades. He saw right through his Animagus dog form. And at this point, I can't help but imagine a detective show starring Sirius Black and Crookshanks. You know, they're just magical. Detectives.
1: <laughs> was still the show. <laughs> you know,
0: and we can call it something like Crooks and Pads or something.
1: <laughs> that would be awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah. But Sirius also explains that he was James and Lily's secret keeper, and he convinced them to change to Peter Pettigrew at the last moment. He thought this was a great decision, but this decision, of course, resulted in their deaths. Serious blames himself for this and feels a great deal of shame and guilt. I know you've worked with active service members and veterans who might feel these same kind of feelings. Can you discuss this type of remorse and how you would go about treating it?
1: Absolutely. I think a lot of individuals in this kind of a case where they lost a loved one, they lost a friend, for example, might blame themselves and might develop not only shame about what happened, but also symptoms or full criteria for meeting post-traumatic stress disorder. And what we know is that for a lot of individuals who blame themselves for what happened, they might experience something called moral injury. Moral injury is when an individual believes themselves to have acted against their moral code and blames themselves for something bad that has happened. And a lot of times, moral injury is actually out of the person's hands. The atrocity that has occurred has nothing to do with that individual, but the individuals might blame themselves nonetheless. A lot of times, it's the circumstances that force us into this experience Individuals who went through trauma, like Sirius has, a lot of times experience something called a hindsight bias. And this is where they believe that they should have known better, that they should have done something differently. But the truth is, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. right? We think that we should have known better. But back at the time of the event, we only had the information that we had at hand. We didn't know anything else. And... Sirius acted in the way that he believed would be most protective for James and Lily because everyone knew that Sirius was James's best friend. And therefore, he was the most logical choice for being the secret keeper of their whereabouts. And so therefore, if Voldemort was to get to Sirius Black and torture him for information and, and use some kind of a truth serum on him, then Voldemort would be able to extract that information And so Sirius deduced that of their entire group, the person that Voldemort would least likely question would be Peter Pettigrew. And it made sense why he made that recommendation, not realizing that Peter was already working with Voldemort.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a rough situation all around. At this point, Lupin and Sirius cast their spell on Scabbers and reveal Peter Pettigrew. It might be distressing to hear and imagine that Scabbers is actually a man, but how frightening would it be to actually see this pet turn into some unkept, dirty-looking, scroungy man?
1: Well and I think one of the most scariest things of them all is that Ron loved his rat. He slept with his rat in his bed. He kissed his rat, you know, and he <laughs> as you know, many of us do with our cats and dogs, for example, or our hamsters, right? We love our pets. And then to realize that his beloved pet is actually this evil and really craven, like, coward wizard that's responsible for Harry's parents' deaths is probably not only horrifying, but also disgusting.
0: Yeah, and up until that point, he didn't even believe it. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) The experience of disgust does not only happen when we smell or taste something that our body finds repulsive, it's also when we find the actions of other people to be repulsive as well.
0: Yeah. Peter Pettigrew is this slimy little figure, and he immediately denies that he did anything wrong and goes as far as to continue blaming. Everything on Sirius. It's no wonder that Sirius and Lupin are resolved at this moment to kill Peter. And just when they're about to, Harry stops them. Although Peter Pettigrew is this horrible person, Harry doesn't want his father's real friends to become murderers. He believes that Peter should be tried and, you know, sent to Azkaban. He thinks that that's a worse judgment anyway.
1: And also it would clear Sirius's name.
0: Yeah. I've often heard things like, if you kill so-and-so, you're no better than they are, or it's better to forgive those who have harmed you. What does it mean to show compassion of this level to someone like Peter who was responsible for Harry's parents' deaths?
1: I think a lot of times when individuals were harmed by someone, they believe that vengeance will make them feel better, and it doesn't. Vengeance doesn't make people feel better. Justice does. And in Harry's case, I don't think he's necessarily showing compassion toward Peter. I think he's thinking rationally about what would be the best way to support Lupin and Sirius, and also to make sure that Peter uh, faces the consequences of his actions. And so I think at this point, he's one of the only ones who are thinking clearly about what would be the best outcome for all this, not only in the immediate events, but also in the
0: future. Everybody else is in shock (laughs) about the whole situation. It's very interesting that they all come to this conclusion that they're going to turn Peter in. And Ron even immediately jumps up and ties himself to Peter so he can't do anything, and so does Lupin. And at the end of this chapter it's this ragtag bunch of people being led by crookshanks out of this shrieking shack it's it's actually a funny scene to imagine when you read it That's pretty much the end of the chapter, and that's the end of this episode. So thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek.
1: And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlet. You can find me on Twitter at ShadowQuill or Dr. Janina Scarlet Official on Instagram.
0: For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlet's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind, stay magical, and have a great day.
1: The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any
0: activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.